everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing today, Jess? I am good. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Finishing up research, I feel like I am in college again and I have a paper or presentation due. <laughs> so... <laughs> I feel that so hard with my next topic. I know oh I have to goodness. get it done, and I'm almost there, but I'm not working on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the other thing, like procrastinating. Like last night, I was up to like 2 a.m., and I was like making coffee, and I'm like, God, I haven't done this in years. Like, <laughs> But I'm like, goodness gracious, I mean... These are like full on presentations that most people would spend months on. It's like, okay, what's our next topic? Okay, I have to read a book in like three days. Cool. And and basically write a report on it. <laughs> and then present it for all the world to receive. Yes. Yes. So I wish I was trying to think, do I have anything super exciting? I think that's not that. I think just we um we're getting ready for Halloween. So we have already made our pilgrimage twice to Spirit Halloween. So that has been super <laughs> fun and exciting. And I love it because I see all the tarot. I mean, it's so crazy to see all this tarot stuff. And I love like everybody's like, I love tarot. And then when Halloween's over, it's like, it's the devil or something. You know? But it's like <laughs> seeing all these people, it's, which obviously people, I do not think tarot is the devil. But where we live, it's and I'm like, oh, but, oh, yeah. but it feels like for this month, it's all normal and happy but all the tarot stuff's really cute and then of course they had all the Ouija stuff and um, oh naturally I just love it I love that Halloween is already like starting to happen or and it's coming out and so that was super fun and other than that we have been researching because we live in this world all year long with ghosts and spirits and Ouija boards (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is when we go shopping for all of our home decor what do you mean holiday related decorations what are you talking about oh no I brought I bought more cups for our kitchen to use year round (laughs) oh my goodness and I was telling you the other night I feel like I can wear my I mean I wear my Ouija sweatshirt year round but I love this time of year everybody's like oh you're in the holiday spirit and I'm like yes yes that's a hundred percent why I'm wearing it right now. Well spotted. <laughs> but I do like I don't get weird looks like when I wear it out in like May, people are like, What is she doing? <laughs> so like, what is that? Yeah, that's 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 fair. So it's like it's like our time of year, Kate. <laughs> it absolutely is. That's what I love so much. Like, honestly, I'm convinced that's part of why I'm so bitter that the Texas summer lasts until November mm-hmm. is because we only get part of that fall aesthetic. We don't get to like go out all bundled up in our sweatshirts oh. and scarves because you you will die. But we also don't have to drive on the ice. So like there is a trade off. Yeah, um. <laughs> I agree. I would I would much rather have the heat I have decided than shoveling snow or driving on ice. I will learn to adapt regardless of where I am. (laughs) And so I feel free to complain all the time. (laughs) Well, how else was your weekend? (laughs) How how was your weekend? Maybe you have more exciting things to offer than I do. (laughs) Well, I had two events over the weekend. So I actually haven't had a day off yet since Monday, uh, last Monday. And it's now Tuesday of the next week. But I do have a short week this week to make up for it. I'm leaving early on Thursday and just not going into work at all on Friday. And I do get to go, speaking of Halloween, this weekend I get to go to a friend's house in South Houston and help her decorate all weekend because she's got so many decorations. And it's such a long drive. We're going to make it a decorating and baking weekend. 
Oh, I love it. When she finishes her house, if she ever wants to decorate another house, we always will take volunteers at the museum <laughs> if she loves Halloween. Oh, that's true. You want to go decorate a historic home? <laughs> ask her and see if she's game for it at all. Well, that sounds like so much fun and getting in the fall spirit. I love it. Yeah, I'm excited. And I get to like have all the decoration envy because she has way more skeletons than I do. <laughs> And then I get to like go to the store and then resist the urge to buy all the skeletons that I see. Oh my God. It's going to be a trial and tribulation kind of September and October for me because I want to buy all the things and I can't because I'm on a budget because my house isn't falling apart at the moment, but we're still recovering from the last thing that had to get repaired. So yes. I can't I can't buy all the things, no matter how much I want to point out that I have a very large pecan tree now. And so now I need the 50 foot skeleton to stand oh, next to it and yes. make it look like a small tree. <laughs> but I'm not allowed to have one yet because I can't buy one. I know. I know. No, I it, it has been hard. I, I kind of did the same thing. I'm not going to go crazy. I only bought like one or two cups, little cups, like the plastic ones at Spirit Halloween. I was very proud mm-hmm. of myself. And um, but there's a couple of things I'm I'm like, oh, well, here's what's dangerous. They're opening one right by my house. It's in the shopping center where like the grocery store is and all that. What store closed for it to open up? <laughs> I know. Isn't that sad? That, I think it was a Gander Mountain, but that one's been closed for like years. That's like, been closed years. Yeah, like, that was yeah. before I left Houston. Yeah. So that one's, I think that's what it was. It was something like that, but nothing's been in it for three or four years. Right. I'm always like, please make it a spirit Halloween. And yesterday I drove Aww. by and I saw the orange baskets, like they were stacked up and then I... <laughs> This is how nerdy I am. We've already been to our other one twice, so I know some of the employees. And I saw one of the guys walking in, and I'm like, oh. I mean, isn't that sad when you already know the employees? <laughs> like that. It's not sad. It's impressive. You've done very thorough recon. Good job. I did tell them about the podcast, though. I spread the word. I figured it would be Yay! up their alley, and they would enjoy it. Yeah, so we're very excited, but that's also very dangerous that it's literally within walking distance. Yeah, no, because then you can't be like, I've had too much wine. It's not safe to drive. <laughs> no, but I can I can wine walk to <laughs> Spirit Halloween and have some problems Yeah, in the, in the very near future. Yeah, that is a problem. I that's know. Well, and my son loves it. Oh, that's going to make it a problem when I come see you at the end of October. Yes, it's going to be right there. Because I- then it's going to be a good idea for both of us to go. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I know that's gonna be the hard thing and my son's already excited it's like his it's like his Walt Disney like he is so excited he loves that store so much I love your little weirdo he's the coolest he kid so cool he, like he is the coolest. I'm so grateful that all of my friends that have children like almost all of them have little weirdos as kids <laughs> and I have something to talk about with those children like I can talk about Ghostbusters yes, with your kid yes. I get to talk about like cemeteries and dead people with my cousin's kid <laughs> I have my friend in Tennessee like her children are also little psychos and i'm so happy i know i know he is so (laughs) cute like i mean that's like his little happy place right now so but i i I know i know it's so much fun and speaking of all things ghostly and someone else that i feel like possibly would have been interested in this if it had been around during this time maybe maybe (laughs) maybe but tonight we are We're tackling a very prominent person in the spiritualist movement. It it feels very overwhelming even to do a podcast on him. But we're going to be talking about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle tonight. And I feel like I need to give a disclaimer to listeners because there is so much in his life. Okay, first of all, if you're listening to this because you love Sherlock Holmes 
and all his novels, this will not be the podcast for you. No, we, we, we are we are not that <laughs> podcast. Those podcasts exist, yes! and they do a very good yes! job at what they do. And you should probably, as much as we want to, we don't want to send you away. No. We should probably send you away now if that's what you're looking for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to touch on, I mean, you can't not include Sherlock Holmes, but this will not be about Sherlock this at, at all. So, yes. Um, but maybe stick around. You'll like it anyway. So there's my first disclaimer. And the second is he was involved so much in this movement. He knew everybody. And it's really impossible to cover every aspect of his life and his involvement in spiritualism. So there is no doubt things will be left out tonight. But just looking at all the things we're going to talk about, he's going to come up so much in future episodes. Some of the people, I mean, he knew everybody in this movement. So literally everyone. I know there's one really famous medium and I just couldn't fit that his role and their relationship in tonight. But I'm like, wait, we're already covering her in the future. So he will come back up. So I promise if you're like that you left that out, it'll be coming around in future episodes. So it's this is like part one. It's like part one of his life. Just giving you an overview to get us started. I mean, there are whole books written on his on different parts of his life. We can't fit that all in one podcast. Y'all won't sit here and listen to us for 30 hours straight on one topic. No, no. And if you would, we appreciate that. But <laughs> I don't want to talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle for 30 straight hours. I, and love him, but I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. So we'll call this a great overview. <laughs> it's 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 Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 101. Yes. If you want 305, you need to sign up next semester. <laughs> yes, when we probably revisit him in season three. Yeah, we'll do a deep delve on how it turns out Sherlock was secretly also involved in spiritualism, even though he was so um, <laughs> analytic and not in the spiritual world. We will find an angle yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah, we will. We will. So, okay, disclaimer is out there. Let's dive into this amazing man. So, um, yay. Yay. so Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle was born May 22nd, 1859 in Edinburgh, Scotland. He was the second of 10 children born to Charles and Mary Doyle. And Charles Doyle, his father, held from a family of actually renowned artists. His grandfather was a gifted painter, and Doyle's father and brother were said to have inherited his father's talent, which I didn't know this. I, when I was yeah. looking into this, this was really interesting. And it feels like it, it does influence Doyle later in life. So it said that his father Charles' works were said to include that of fairies, elf-like creatures, and fearsome subjects. It was said to have a dreamlike quality to it and was described as a world of elaborate fantasy, a perpetual twilight in which the possible walked hand in hand with the wildly improbable. And so that's how his dad's art was described, which I was like, that's so interesting considering what happens later in his son's life. Yeah, no, that is, that is, oh, that is a solid foundation to give us the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle we hear about later. Isn't it? Um, So that was really interesting. Now, Doyle's mother, Mary, was an educated and vivacious woman who had a love for reading and was a master storyteller. Oh, and there's the rest of his personality. There you go. Doyle recalled in a biography, in my early childhood, as far as I can remember anything at all, the vivid stories she would tell me stand out so clearly that they obscure the real facts of my life. 
And sadly, Doyle really needed an escape from the facts of his real life because his father was also a chronic alcoholic who would eventually be um, institutionalized in an asylum. So his father's erratic behavior not only made life difficult for the family, but it also left them struggling financially. So it was it was a rough upbringing for, for Conan Doyle. But you can still see those influences of his father and his mother. And, and that information about his father was actually hidden very well for several years, even after Conan Doyle died. It kind of came out later within research. Oh, wow. They really protected, like, his dad and, and kind of didn't really tell those stories. Um, so when Doyle t- turned nine years old in 1868, the wealthier members of his family offered to pay for his schooling. And the young boy said goodbye to his family and was sent to Hotter Place, a Jesuit preparatory school in Lancashire, England. Special arrangements were actually made for him only to come back in the summers because his mom kind of wanted to keep him away from the house. So I just think of this poor little boy. And by the way, that was to protect him. Lonely little bud. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was for good reason, but oh, lonely little guy. Now, his time at school was very grueling for the young boy who had a tendency for rebellion and nonconformity that would remain with him throughout the rest (laughs) of his life. Um, I know. And it said that Doyle's only moments of happiness were when he wrote letters to his mother, which is a habit he would continue throughout his life and when he played sports as well. And also during this time, he discovered his own talent for storytelling and often had an audience of younger students who would gather eagerly to hear all his tales. Mm, Yay. Now, Arthur Conan Doyle's spirit... I know, it's so cute. Now, his own spiritual journey really begins during the school years. He grew really frustrated with what he saw as the intolerable nature of the Catholic Church, especially after an Irish priest at his school declared that anyone outside of the church was doomed to damnation. And in his later writings, he reflected on his time at school, recalling how even as a young boy, he was repulsed by the narrow-minded theology and an uncharitable attitude towards other religions. So we kind of were starting to see the grumblings and the rumblings of things going on. And what's going to happen later? Now, um, <laughs> later Doyle went on to graduate from Stonyhurst College in 1876. And although his family thought he's going to be an artist following his father's footsteps, he instead chose to study medicine. So during his time in medical school, Doyle was mentored by Professor Dr. Joseph Bell, a master of diagnostic deduction. And and Bell's keen powers of observation down to the most minute detail would later inspire Doyle to create his famed fictional detective Sherlock Holmes. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's so a lot of the things we see Sherlock Holmes do in the stories were things he had taken from his mentor, which is so cool to me. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, in 1881, Arthur Conan Doyle received his Bachelor of Medicine degree and Master of Surgery degree. And to mark the occasion, he drew a funny sketch of himself with the caption, Licensed to Kill, which I love. Okay, James Bond. (laughs) I know. I love his sense of humor. (laughs) Um, So he begins. I know. It's great. So he begins his career as a doctor and he accepts a position as a medical officer aboard the steamship Mayumbo traveling from Liverpool to Africa. However, after only one trip, 
he decides this isn't for me. He leaves that position. He moves to Plymouth and then later relocates to South Sea Portsmouth. And that's really significant. And I'm going to tell you why. So first of all, in 1885, Doyle met and married his first wife, Louisa Hawkins. And she was actually the sister of one of his patients. And together they would have two children, a daughter, Mary, and son, Kingsley. And it's while he's living there that Dole grew interested in mesmerism. I feel like the Alavum start off with mesmerism. I mean, there's a reason we started with mesmer too. Like, mm-hmm. that was the foundation of so many people's interests. Well, exactly. I think it was in the Ackroyd um, podcast in the book. I think he, he, was the one, he started with mesmerism as well. So he starts getting interested in that in other spiritual phenomena. Doyle attended seances. He took part in telepathy experiments and sittings with mediums. However, still on the issue of life and death, Doyle remained a skeptic. So he's just because he's going to these, he's not really believing them. And at this time in his life, he regarded spiritualism as the greatest nonsense upon earth, (laughs) which is so funny. (laughs) Yep. And he believed that the fraudulent mediums use trickery during the seances to move the objects. I mean, that's less of a stretch. It's the because we've we've covered some of the fraudulent <laughs> techniques they would use. So like that one, that one's, you know what? Good job. Good catch. Good call. Exactly. Um, it being full nonsense. I'm going to need someone to get that on tape recorder <laughs> or on a piece of paper with his signature, because that's going to be very funny in about 20 years. Exactly. Exactly. I know I cracked up at that. So, however, his views on the subject are going to change um, when he befriended Major General Alfred Wicks Drayson, who was president of the Portsmouth Literary and Philosophical Society. And this society's members were professional men like Doyle, who took an intellectual approach to more unusual topics, which Hmm. is perfect for him. Drayson was a committed and active spiritualist, and Doyle was interested in his revolutionary approach to a number of spiritual and astronomical topics. Conan Doyle was willing to listen to his thoughts in regard to psychic phenomena, and Doyle wrote about Drayson. His opinion, therefore, was not negligible upon any subject, and when he told me his views and experiences upon spiritualism, I could not fail to be impressed, though my own philosophy was far too solid to be easily destroyed." But he's at least (laughs) open-minded to listening to what this person has to say. And it's interesting. He later dedicated his book, The Captain of the Pole Star and Other Tales, to Drayson. So he played, he had a significant, played a significant role in his life. Now, we can't talk about Doyle without mentioning this. In March of 1886, Conan Doyle began working on the story that would catapult him into infamy Initially named A Tangled Skein, it would later become A Study in Scarlet and introduce the world to Detectives Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Okay, now back to spiritualism, but we have to, we have to put that in. <laughs> Absolutely. there It's literally impossible to get into anything involving him yes. and not at least give a little bit of a mention exactly. to Sherlock. Like, that's why he was famous. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't really even care if it wasn't for that. Now, in 1887, Doyle's views on spiritualism are really going to shift significantly. Conan Doyle and Henry Ball, who was a fellow member of the Literary and Scientific Society, found that they both shared a real interest in telepathy. 
And the two men decided to conduct a series of experiments from January of 1887 to July to study this. And the success of their telepathic studies convinced Doyle to open his mind to other areas of the Mm. unknown, if you will. And later that same year, another medium impressed Doyle and Ball so much with the accuracy of his reading that Conan Doyle came away with the belief that it was possible for a sensitive to probe into his memory and proved without a doubt that spirit was real. So in 1887, Conan Doyle submitted a letter to the spiritualist journal Light recounting his experience and his newfound beliefs. So this already... We have this myth, which I admit I did, too, before I started this research, that he didn't get into any of this until after his son passed. But in- that's what I thought. And I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Like, I thought it was after World War One when his son mm-hmm. died. Now, I'm not saying there aren't other significant milestones after his son passes. But this as I was doing my research, I came across several historians that kind of debunked that myth that he had no interest in this until his son passed when clearly in 1887 he's already kind of declaring and he's not a full-blown spiritualist but he's already declaring his interest and belief so um myth debunked was that that son even born at this point he uh maybe he was like two or three years i mean yeah he's if, if he is i can't remember the exact date but clearly it's yeah like the kid's a little kid it's decades before yes. he dies like wow okay Good to know. I know. Isn't that cool? So his fascination was growing. And while this is going on, he is still remaining focused on his medical practice and his newly flourishing literary career. And he's always restless and looking for his next great cause, which years (laughs) later will just turn into spiritualism, FYI. But this time... He decided to focus his practice on ophthalmology, so he closed his office, and he and his family moved for a short time to Vienna, and then they resettled in London. And so while he's sitting there waiting on his new patients, he spent his free time writing. And in July of 1891, he wrote A Scandal in Bohemia, the first short story about Sherlock for the Strand magazine. And this was just the first of many short stories about the great detective. And with his newfound notoriety because of these and wealth, Doyle was able to give up his medical career to become a full-time writer. So there's some more literary history. (laughs) Now, however, despite his success, Conan Doyle soon grew really tired of the popular detective and decided he wanted... Oh, yeah. He, like, rose to hate Sherlock Holmes, and he wanted to put an end to him once and for all so he could focus on more serious and important work. Because he's also writing novels and other things during this time. Fair. Yeah, and so Sherlock Holmes met his end in 1893 in The Final Problem, and the story reached this climactic end when Sherlock Holmes and Professor Moriarty plunged to their deaths over these waterfalls in Switzerland. (laughs) And Doyle was so relieved to be done with Holmes, but the readers were not. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet not. Fandoms are not a new problem for any creator, be they movie or author. Exactly. And when you kill off one that's so popular, so immediately 20,000 readers canceled their magazine subscriptions. Ah! It said people, yes, it said people went into mourning. Like they were wearing mourning clothes. They were, the men were wearing black armbands like they do when they're mourning. And like all these letters are 
coming to Doyle, pleading with him to bring Holmes back. And he's like, I'm done with it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just crazy. It's like, it's a, but I'm, but yeah, fandoms, do you see that? Like when you have like, I mean, I remember when Game of Thrones and I have no skin in the game because I didn't really watch the show, but I remember like my husband did and he was like furious with the ending. And I, I mean, you see people when this kind of stuff happens, they get so mad. I'm a member of a few fandoms and yeah, we do not take well mm-hmm. to some things periodically and the age of the internet has just made it worse. But we have always been a problem, my friends. <laughs> fandoms have always been a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> now, during all of this, Doyle's wife Actually, um, her health begins to seriously deteriorate, and she's eventually diagnosed with tuberculosis. So as a doctor, he starts devoting his time to caring for his wife, um, and he actually kept her alive for another 13 years, which is really amazing. But that's all. So there's really a lot going on for him during all of this. Yeah. Dang. I know. I know. Now, in 1893, Arthur Conan Doyle joined the Society for Psychical Research in London, which... We're going to have to do a podcast on just FYI. Yeah, no, we really do have to do yes. an episode on that one for sure. Yes. So founded in 1882, the SPR was the first organization to examine claims of psychic and paranormal phenomena, including mesmeric, psychical, and spiritualist phenomena in purely scientific spirit. So they created this methodical and administrative framework, including their scholarly journal in which all their research could be reported and debated. So they're taking a scientific approach to all this crazy things that are happening. Study spirits in the spirit of science, because Ex- that's not a confusing concept. <laughs> Thank you, English. Exactly. Exactly. And members include like prominent scientists, philosophers, members of parliament, the who's who, and now Doyle, He's a, which it's perfect for him. Throughout the next few years, Doyle's interest in spiritualism and the occult did not wane. And we can really see this in the writings of the time because many of Doyle's stories have elements of the occult supporting evidence of his interests. Like in 1899, he wrote The Brown Hand, which featured a poltergeist. In 1900, he wrote Playing with Fire, which um, had a unicorn that materialized during a seance. I, what? I know. And then later in 1902, he wrote The Leather Funnel, which featured psychometry in it. So that's so cool. And there were other stories, but that's just a few of them. So. I'm officially annoyed that all we ever hear about is Sherlock. These sounds fascinating. Exactly. I'm like, I've never heard of these other books. I need to read these. But granted, I'm not a Sherlock aficionado. So. No, but like, that's why the library has audiobooks. It'll be fine. Exactly. Exactly. The supernatural even played a key role in Doyle's plan to revive Sherlock Holmes. And in 1903, the great detective returned in The Hound of Baskervilles, a murder mystery with supernatural elements. And after (laughs) he brought him back and afterwards, Doyle accepted a generous offer to continue writing more adventures of Holmes and Dr. Watson. That money helps. It was demanded of him and he caved for a price. Exactly. But he threw in the supernatural, which I love. I am here for that. (laughs) That is a nice solid. I do understand now why that one is used in so many of the shows Mm -hmm. that I've seen. Because that one, it it blends the the sci-fi fantasy supernatural world with Sherlock in a different way. Because like A Study in Scarlet is always a version of that for the first episode of any kind of reboot, revamp, or redo of Sherlock. But Hound of the Baskervilles has cropped up Mm -hmm. enough times that that makes perfect sense. And no, for the record, I've never read an entire Sherlock book. Please don't come after me. I have other things to be addicted to. (laughs) 
don't feel bad. I haven't either. And that I was like, oh, I'm a horrible person. In our defense, we're busy researching this show for y'all. Exactly. We read many books. I haven't even, I'm behind on my book club books because I'm reading these. I'm trying to keep up with the Poisoner's Cabinet book club and I can't manage it because (laughs) I keep getting distracted by new books that I have to order on thrift books. And I know I feel bad, but actually this in a good way, this had made this makes me want to read some of these that I've been like learning about. It makes me want to be like, okay, I'm interested now. So there, that came out of it. When he isn't busy writing, Doyle found more and more of his spare time being taken up with the investigation of psychic phenomena and attending seances. But it is important to note that he still remained cautious about many of the mediums he encountered. And he was always aware of the possibility of fraud and deception, which is another kind of myth that's being debunked because everyone just says he's so gullible. He believed everyone. And there were pro- there were people that he believed that now it's like, mm, that's a little questionable. They they probably were frauds. But he it's said that he was always the first to admit that there were many fraudulent mediums. Um, so and I think that kind of gets overlooked in history. They just. It definitely gets overlooked because that doesn't, that's the first I've heard of mm-hmm. it. And that's really good to know. Yes. Because given how analytical he was and everything else, it was kind of confusing that he was so willing to buy everything lock, stock, and barrel when it came to spiritualism. So turns out he didn't and we were lied to. Exactly. And, and as we get later on, which is going to come up pretty soon, there's two cases that we'll talk about that kind of led to some of that and people kind of calling him gullible. So we'll get there. Um, in 1906, though, sadly, his wife does pass away. And a year later, he would remarry um, Jean Leckie, who he had met several years prior. And it's actually said that he fell in love with the young woman. But, and everybody was clear to say, but he was ever faithful to his wife. And their relationship remained entirely platonic. So he had met Jean several years prior, but there was no funny business going on. That's fair. Yes. Um, Now, following his second marriage, Doyle continued to write, producing several ghost stories as well as works of science fiction. 1914 would prove to be one of the most significant years in Doyle's spiritual journey. And it all began when his longtime, well, longtime friend of the family, really, she was a bridesmaid for Jean. Um, Her name was Lily. She came to stay with the Doyle family. And while initially she was employed as a nanny to the children, she soon fell ill and it really left her bedridden. So she was staying with the Doyles and Lily was a spiritualist and a medium. And so she started devoting much of her time to automatic writing. Now, many of the messages she... Nice. I know. I, I mean, I'm sad that she's ill. That's very sad. But she's doing that all day to keep keep her busy. And many of her messages she transcribed from the other side were often foretelling, including one on the day of the Lusitania sank. And it said it was said that Lily received a message warning of the great effect that this event would have on the course of the war. So what? Pretty impressive. Very impressive. And throughout the war, I mean, she's doing this automatic writing. And while she's doing this, it's 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 World War One. The Doyle family and Lily are all suffering really great losses of family members that are in battle, including three of Lily's brothers were killed during the war. So she's also now communicating with those spirits as well. Now, in the autumn of 1916, Lily produced a series of long messages from her brothers that had passed. And it was through these messages and conversations with Lily and their deceased loved ones that Conan Doyle became convinced of the truth of spiritualism. And Doyle exclaimed, 
It was the personal revelation for which I had been waiting. And by the summer of 1916, he had come to accept out-of-body experiences as a demonstrable fact. And in that same year, Doyle wrote again to the spiritualist journal, Light, and the letters revealed a wide acceptance of the principles of the spiritualist movement. And he argued that despite the occasional frauds, there remained a substantial core in the spiritualist movement, which was closer to the truth than any other religious movement. And so that's by 1916. That's so cool. It's very cool. It's very cool. Now, in October of 1917, Doyle gave a lecture in the company of Sir Oliver Lodge before the London Spiritualist Alliance entitled The New Revelation. And it was his first, or considered his first public declaration about the degree. He was now prepared to champion his new cause. We said he's looking for a cause. <laughs> Spiritualism, yep. and this was later published in a book form in 1918, and it was a more detailed um, declaration of his views, and he said its purpose was to reveal the religious importance of spiritualism and provide a personal testimony that would be understandable to the common man. Um, it was, nice. yeah, yeah, it was divided into four chapters, the search, the revelation, the coming of life, and problems and limitations, and so it was kind of his big declaration, and you can still find copies. I was looking for um, this, and you can still find copies online of the new revelation, which is really cool. Now, sadly, a few months after this work was published, Doyle's eldest son, Kingsley, died of Spanish influenza after being weakened by a wound he had received in battle during the war. And again, while many historians point to this being the turning point, for Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, we actually see it's not. Yeah, no, based on what we know now, that's not a turning point no. anymore. <laughs> no, and I double checked the dates and um and uh so it but he's even before the new revelation, he's already written letters to the light. So yeah, no. This may have helped, but he's already kind of fully convinced. Yeah. And the Doyle's reliance on spiritualism for comfort during this time was not exceptional. Following World War One, many families had suffered so much loss they turned to the movement and it, as we've mm -hmm. talked about caitlin you watch the spread of spiritualism's popularity just sweep uh not only great britain but america and on i'm honestly still impressed that it always seems to come up it ramps up a little bit before the big event and then it explodes and we're currently in an explosion yes. in my opinion and hey what did we just come out of oh yeah COVID. exactly I, I i agree completely um, and Conan Doyle's kind of, he's watching this. And by the summer of 1919, he estimated that he had already addressed over 50,000 people about spiritualism at various events and locations on it. So it's growing. Now, in 1919, Doyle published The Vital Message, which was a companion piece to The New Revelation. And this book really attempted to set out the case for the spiritualist movement from a historical and evidential point of view. In it, he describes the achievements of famous mediums, including D.D. Home and a number of modern investigators. And he ended the work with an examination of the psychic abilities of Jesus Christ and his disciples. So he also tied it into Christianity and all that. I know, which I feel like hmm. was probably very controversial. I, I would I would think it, it could be very controversial to those that don't believe in it but now by no yeah, yeah. For sure. now by 1920 spiritualism had attained the status of a successful popular religious movement it's out there and sir arthur conan doyle was the four was a forerunner who did his best to promote it i mean he is always out 
promoting spiritualism. This you're going to see this as a theme throughout his life or after the later life. Um, he was willing to admit again that there were fraudulent mediums at large and was only too happy to warn fellow spiritualists of their existence. However, he also fought back against ill-informed attacks mounted by journalists and investigators. Um, and one of those skeptics was a writer and rationalist, Joseph McCabe. And in January of 1920, Mr. McCabe addressed an assembly in Glasgow on the theme of Sir A. Conan Doyle's ghosts, in which he told the audience that he intended to take Doyle to task at a debate in London he said that it was both misleading and unkind to tell mothers that they would meet their children after death. And, of course, he did not believe in mediums, table tipping seances, and spoke out against that as well. So McCabe got his chance at Queen's Hall, London, on March 11th. Doyle believed that if he agreed to the debate, he would be promoting the truth of spiritualism and felt confident as its spokesman. And, I mean, as you can imagine, this debate drew a great deal of public interest. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, gonna, they're about to go at it. McCabe, oh, listen to McCabe's opening. He declared that spiritualism was born in fraud, nurtured in fraud, and based today to an alarming extent all over the world on fraudulent performances. So... Let me let me just make sure I understand yeah. where he's coming from. He he thinks that it, it's all fraud. <laughs> Basically, yes. Basically. In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> just to sum up, he's 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 feeling the fraud vibe from the entire movement. Okay. I know, and I'm sitting there thinking, if how's Doyle? Like, is Doyle just like, Ugh. like I if if I was debating him and that's how he opened, whew, I would not be happy. He attacked medium DD Home, who we just talked about that. Doyle had in his book. He also was scornful of Doyle's own psychic experiences. So Doyle responded and he claimed that the evidence was undeniable. He produced a small book containing the names. I love he, he pulls out this little book and it contains, I know it contains the names of 160 people of high distinction, many of them eminent, including over 40 professors that were all willing adherents to the cause of spiritualism. So basically like, Here's my book of 160 people that nice. say this is real. <laughs> I don't. That's fantastic. I love that response. Exactly. Like, here are my receipts. What have you got? Exactly. And he also regarded D.D. Home as beyond reproach. There was also debate a debate on the authenticity of ectoplasm. Yes. What'd they say? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't go into a whole lot of detail, but I will say in the book, they do go into detail about people investigating ectoplasm yeah i uh i've Have come, you come across, across some that? things in 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 my more recent research that i am both grateful for for everyone's sake right. that i didn't come up before i did my episode on ectoplasm yeah but i'm also disappointed because i feel like i robbed the world of knowledge that is horrifying and gross yes and i, I listeners don't worry i won't go into detail but they were they were going into detail about where all you can hide things and how they would check for it. And the human body has a lot of orifices that are available to ectoplasm fraud. And there was so much detail. I was like uncomfortable <laughs> reading it and I'm like and I'm like, oh my gosh. Now this wasn't debated on the stage, obviously, but they were just talking about, you know, it, it kind of 
the book jumped around, but it, it went into a whole thing on ectoplasm. And I was like, oh, I didn't need to know all this. I feel like I'm an, OB- an OBGYN right now. <laughs> like, I feel like I should not be reading all of this right now. This is a little that, intense. That, that is, that's one that's come up more recently for me as well. And aren't you glad to join me in my horror of the topic? Uh, yeah, I had to take a moment after that. I'm like, this is a good time for a break. Um, But anyway, but that was debated. I'm sure... Doyle believed it, and McKay was like, no. Um, but it's said that the debate ended on friendly terms, and but Doyle had the edge on McCabe. <laughs> now, tell me more. Exactly, exactly. Now, in 1920, Conan Doyle was invited by the Spiritualist Fraternity of Australia to conduct a series of lectures in major cities across the continent, Ooh. and he won over his audience, who... Um, often consisted of not only devoted spiritualists, but priests and professors and businessmen. In addition to his lectures, Dole also shared a selection of psychic photographs, including materializations from seances, images of ectoplasmic material, and more. (laughs) Um, But overall, this missionary tour was a success. He held 25 meetings, averaging 2,000 people each. So he spoke to about 50,000 in all. And so... During his tour, it was, I mean, this was huge. He went across Australia promoting spiritualism. Now, it was also during this time that Doyle first received news of photographs of fairies taken by two young girls. I forgot he was involved in that, too. Yes. In 1970. <laughs> How did I forget? Oh, and so when we talk about, he did it. When we talk about why do people consider him gullible, even though he's saying there can be frauds, this is where some of the issues are going to come up. So just for a background, in case anybody's like, what's up with the fairies? In the summer of 1917, 15-year-old Elsie Wright and her cousin, 10-year-old Frances Griffith, claimed to have enticed fairies and a goblin into a glen and they took photographs of them. The negatives were examined by experts who found them to be genuine and untampered with. And Doyle requested prints, and he was delighted with what he saw. And so he wanted an inquiry to begin to determine the authenticity of the photographs. Um, Mm -hmm. The negatives were examined at the Kodak Company's offices, and experts found no evidence of superimposition or other trickery. But they were quick to say... It was not beyond the realms of possibility, but they just couldn't figure out how they did it, basically. Um, And then Doyle wanted to see if the girls could do it again. And so some time had passed, and he was actually doubtful whether they would be able to produce new prints of the fairies. Not because they weren't real, but because the two girls were now well past puberty, and thus their psychic powers were probably considerably diminished. Uh. So he, oh, it was scientific. Yes. Um, but however, to his surprise, the girls produced three more prints, all taken in the fairy glen. And to Doyle, the photos offered genuine confirmation of the spirit world and fairies. And in the coming years, he made it his duty to inform the world of their significance. Um, and we're going to come back to those. But that is also going on. And it's kind of one of the first cases that... People start looking at him a little funny about because <laughs> he's talking about fairies. The next one didn't help either. So in addition to the fairies, in 1921, Conan Doyle became invested in another claim of spiritual photography that would consume a great deal of his time. 
Um, it involved William Hope, who was a psychic photographer who ran a seance circle known as the Crew Circle. And while William Hope was considered by many to be a fraud, Doyle was convinced that Hope and his friend and medium, Mrs. Buxton, were genuine pioneers in the field of psychic photography. Doyle himself had sat for the photographer at his home, and he had seen images appear of his loved ones in spirit. Though I will say he sat for him three times. I didn't go into detail in my notes, but I read it. It was like the first time Doyle brought his own like plates, his photographic plates to be used and not much appeared. But then the next time he's like, okay, we'll use your photographic plates. And lo and behold, images appeared on those. So it's, Hmm. this is one that I'm like, "Eh," even I think this is questionable, but. I mean, we also don't have great evidence yeah. of it, knowing what Mumler was up to. Like, yeah. there's there's not a lot of call for belief in the spirit photography, no. unfortunately, because it's amazing. But it's, it's, at least as far as I've seen in research, it's never real. No, no, it's not. And um, But Doyle was convinced. Um, however, James Douglas of the Sunday Express felt differently and began investigating Hope. He even invited Doyle to come to two demonstrations so he could see how you could create these so-called spirit photographs through trickery. And then later, William Hope would be investigated again by the Society of Psychical Research, which Doyle is a part of. Yeah. And they condemned him as a trickster. Because he was. Yeah. However, Doyle believed in Hope, and he believed him to be authentic, and defended him in his book, the Case for Spirit Photography, which he published in 1922. Um, and he fought back against skeptics and wrote a detailed critique of the SPR's investigative methods. But And he also felt, Doyle did, that any spirit photography should be investigated by the Society for the Study of Paranormal Pictures, um, which was a short-lived organization formed in 1918 for which Doyle served as vice president. So they should be investigating all of these, not other people i mean on one hand yes get the experts in on the other hand i know it was short-lived because the phenomenon wasn't real and worth investigating so these the fairies and then the situation with hope are where we start to kind of start seeing cracks and people are being like "Eh, he's a little gullible but that's where it's going to come in it's it's going to get a little worse now his wife um in 1921 finally accepted spiritualism after considerable persuasion, I mean, you're living with Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> like, how can you not? I mean, she she went held for a while. That's impressive. Yeah. Not going to yes. lie. And he encouraged her to try automatic writing. And at first she was hesitant, but then she gradually began to believe that she did possess psychic and mediumistic powers. Um, and Good for her. Yeah. And through many of these messages, Doyle was informed that he would leave his mark forever upon America and should soon start making preparations to travel to the United States on a lecture tour there. So on April 9th, 1922, Conan Doyle and his family arrived in New York. Um, He delivered seven lectures in New York, all of which were well-received. Crowds watched in amazement as large screens displayed photographs of psychic phenomena, including ectoplasm. (laughs) (laughs) I had to throw that in. Um, You would. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, and then soon, even the press was won over by the sensational nature of the evidence. And the New York Times noted to an audience which filled every seat in Car- Carnegie Hall, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle showed spirit photographs of every kind. But of course, while he's not busy lecturing, he busied himself by investigating a number of mediums and attending seances. So basically, when he's not giving a lecture, he's in seances. Um, and spiritualism all day, every all day, day, every day. And he's travel. He traveled up and down the East Coast. He visited Boston, Washington, Toledo, Buffalo, and more. Um, and it was during this tour that Doyle participated in a very infamous seance with his friend Harry Houdini. And <laughs> we're not talking about it tonight because in the next episode. Kate's going to cover this. So, so just just remember that. He's, remember there is a very infamous seance that happens. It, it It's infamous. It's famous. It is a known. It is a problem for a lot of people for many reasons. Yes. And I will cover it, I promise. And it's not going to go well. Spoiler. Yeah, no. If you don't already know how it goes, honestly, either sit on your... Hang on to your hats is what I was trying to say. So if you don't already know how it goes, hang on to your hats or Google it because it's history and it already happened. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's everywhere and people talk about it a yes, lot. Yes, so, they do. Um, it, it, even if I wanted to, I couldn't afford it. No, no. <laughs> we have to cover it. And after that, once Joel returned from America, life for the author became pretty challenging. He was attacked relentlessly by the American press. Not only due to that seance with Houdini, but just general authenticity of the spiritual phenomena he's talking about and promoting. The American press and Harry Houdini presented him as too eager to accept all of this at face value and that he was very easy to dupe. And things only took a turn for the worse when Conan Doyle published The Coming of the Fairies, which were the results of his detailed study of the fairy photographs. Which included evidence gathered in 1919, reprints of his past articles, and personal testimonies. And while Conan Doyle hoped the work would convince the general public of the reality of the fairy kingdom, it did not receive the response he had hoped for. And it was not no. taken seriously. So it's it's just getting worse. Yeah. And the attacks were really beginning to wear on him. And he told an audience in Sunderland, People call me credulous, but they don't know what the evidence is. I say any man who had the evidence I had and didn't believe it would be a lunatic. So, I mean, yeah, that's a fair way of putting it. Yeah, but it's really sad because his credibility as a writer and this public figure are really being challenged and damaged because of this at this point. Now, in the final month of that difficult year... We have at least a happy ending, a positive and important milestone in the Yay. yes for Conan Doyle and his ongoing spiritual journey. A new entity known as Phineas entered the home circle and promptly took control <laughs> of the seances. And it was Phineas that first told Conan Doyle that he must return to America to preach the fundamental message of spiritualism. And during that same seance, Conan Doyle's mother also came through to support Phineas's statements and declared that the tour would be a great success. Yay! Yay! So I'm sure he had to be a little reluctant. (laughs) But but he goes back. Oh, God, yes. He goes back. The next year, in 1923, he returned to New York, 
for his second tour of America. Um, again, he held, held his first lecture at Carnegie Hall, and it was actually a really big success. He went to Rochester on this trip, which, of course, we know is very important for the early days of spiritualism. And I didn't know this. He had been attempting to raise funds in America and Great Britain to build a memorial to the Fox sisters. Like, that was one of his Wait, goals. What? Yes. And that was part of the reason he wanted to go to Rochester and just be in that area and so forth. But he had been working on that because the house had been lost. So, which is really, I didn't know that. So I wanted to put that in. Me neither. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. And so he starts um, making his way, visiting big cities across America. But this time he's heading west. And, of course, when he's not lecturing in these cities, he's attending seances. And I mean, he's always at seances. Um, But here were two interesting points of the trip. Um, He did a lecture in Salt Lake City, and Doyle spoke to an audience of 5,000 people. And he was actually intrigued by Mormonism, which doesn't shock me because it was born around the same time spiritualism came about. Yeah, and he's, like, curious by nature, especially about belief structures and stuff, so totally. Exactly, and he considered its founder, Joseph Smith, to bear all the hallmarks of a gifted medium. So he spoke, he was interested in that. That's a weird twist on the religious history. But, I mean, he's also saying the same about Jesus, so... Yeah, no, but, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And he said, he'd probably say about the disciples and most of the yeah. saints and all that stuff, too. So it's not out of place. Right. It just, that's an interesting spin. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I thought that, too. And then my other, and this is just for me because I love old Hollywood. When he was traveling along the West Coast, he stopped in Los Angeles where he met with film royalty Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford. And Dang. I just love old Hollywood, so I thought that was kind of cool. Now, after ending his tour in Canada, Doyle returned home, and he was really pleased with the trip. He had delivered a total of 40 lectures and visited 30 cities. And it was said that there was no doubt, even if people didn't believe, he was an extremely gifted speaker, and he's able to discuss these difficult and controversial topics and in ways that people yeah. can understand. Back at home, when not working on his now autobiography and his account of his second American adventure, <laughs> not shocking, Doyle's hosting and attending seances <laughs> every other time. What? How out of character. I know. In 1925, he wrote his essay, Psychic Experiences, which was a defense of the spiritualist movement. And he also opened up a psychic bookshop, library, and museum in London. I did not know that. I want to do that. That sounds awesome. I know. It makes me think of Ray's Occult and Ghostbusters, like the psychic bookshop. Mm-hmm. That's like what I thought about immediately. So, also something I want to do. Like, oh my God, goals, goals, and goals. I know. Um, in September of 1925, he was invited to Paris, France, as acting president of the International Spiritualist Congress, where he gave two lectures on spiritualism. So I mean, he's touring all over. And finally, in 1926, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote his monumental, authoritative, two-volume history of spiritualism. Wow. I know. And it, it provided a detailed account of the movement. Um, though it is from a partisan point of view, but it does really <laughs> we have to put that out. But so comprehensive. And actually, to ensure complete accuracy, Conan Doyle commissioned Leslie Carnell to write several of the chapters. And um, Carnell was a spiritualist who possessed the largest private collection on the subject in Great Britain. And he actually oh, wow. wanted both their names to be on the title page of the book to give credit. But publishers insisted that Conan Doyle must take credit for commercial reasons, which just so it would sell with his name on it. I know, which is such a bummer. But the history of spiritualism was published simultaneously in London and New York in 1926. 
and we people like us still refer to it today. But sadly, and I noticed this in the book as well, very few of his own experiences are in that book. Like, I was hoping for more, and it's, I mean, he just mentions in passing, so... If you're looking... Why would you leave that out of all things? I know. I know. Later in the spring of 1927, Doyle is going to publish a collection of spirit communication under the title Phineas Speaks, which I love. It's like, here's my guide and here's a book and about all his communications to the family. But... Love it. I know. I know. But by 1929, it said that Doyle knew his time on the earthly plane was coming to an end. And the last major spiritualist work he wrote before his death was published in 1930 it was the edge of the unknown and it was just a collection of writings that had previously appeared in various newspapers and journals from 1920 onwards and he, he did extensively revise it but it's just kind of a collection of all these thoughts and things he's had over the years um now before his death doyle penned a long letter announcing his resignation from the society of psychical research Due to their treatment of mediums, which he did not approve of, and also just... Makes sense. uh, That does. And also just days before he passed, Conan Doyle was actually working towards an amendment of Great Britain's Witchcraft and Vagrancy Act. So, I mean, he's still really active, and that's one of the things he's working with people on, is that as well. Oh. Exactly. On July 7th, 1930, Doyle lapsed into a state of unconsciousness and died the following morning. And at the time of Doyle's passing, it's worth noting he was the honorary president of the Spiritualist National Union. And they say today he is still the honorary president in spirit. <laughs> so they still consider him that. Oh, I know. that's so sweet. I know. Now, at his funeral, there were few signs of mourning, it said. 300 guests were in attendance, many spiritualists who were convinced that they had not heard from the last of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So it makes sense <laughs> why it wouldn't be just overly sad because they're like, we're going to talk to yeah. him later. It's fine. Yeah. Now, on July 13th, the memorial service was held for Doyle at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Um, 8,000 people attended. And on the stage sat an empty chair reserved for Doyle so he could attend. And uh, I know, I love that. And medium Estelle Roberts claims to have seen him there. <laughs> So she's well, good. I would hope he'd show up to his own memorial. You would hope. Exactly. Um, Of course, after his death, and this could be a whole podcast to itself, um, countless mediums came forward with a variety of claims and messages from Doyle. I mean, his wife is getting bombarded by these. And on July 28th, Lady Conan Doyle announced to the British press that she had established communication with her husband through a spirit photograph produced by none other than William Hope. (laughs) he's kind of back and in january 31st the first of many messages were received from conan doyle and they continued off and on for many years and um just and i didn't put this in my notes but i I, speaking of you know this i thought was really interesting um one of his i mean mediums are coming to her left and right like i have a message from your husband he showed up to our seance you know i mean of course right like he has nothing better to do than come out and hang out with everybody exactly and forgive me because um listeners i didn't put this in my notes so i'm gonna kind of um from go from memory but there was a medium who was doing a seance and he came and you know he came in the seance and said this is sir arthur conan doyle and and she didn't really trust it and so then he get she was like well if this is you 
I need all the initials of your family members, which she provided, which she said she didn't know when they checked and that was all accurate. And then she was like, okay, well then I need, cause he wanted her to contact his wife and she's like, okay, well, but I'm not going to bother her if you can't yes, like give me something yes. to show that it's definitely you. Cause that's mean to do to a widow. Exactly. And so the next piece of evidence, he gave her the private number to his wife. Like here's the private phone number. And she called it and got his wife. Oh. And so then the wife, and then um, I believe it was the same medium. Also, the key to his study, which his house was like 40 miles away from her, apported, which means it appeared in her house. So, and I think it was to his study, but anyway, it was a key. And so she's like, here's the key. And so after that, she became like a trusted medium to his wife. Like she would. Yeah. Which would make sense. I mean, if. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, I read that in another source and I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so cool. Anytime you hear of things supporting and all that, which. Right. I'm just like, okay, like the phone number. Yes. Okay. Honestly, the phone number has me more than the key because there are. I mean, yes, there are ways to get the phone number and pretend, but like. Breaking in and stealing somebody's key from their mm-hmm. study is a lot easier than than getting the private phone number of a famous person because, like, let's be real. Could you get the phone number <laughs> of Henry Cavill right now? No. Like, famous people and their phone numbers have been a thing since the development yes. of phone numbers. And so, like, the fact that she was just able to up and call his <laughs> wife, like... Yeah. If they weren't stalker-grade fandom, then... Yeah, that was a really cool story. So I want it. And for those when we say a port, in case you're new or you're listening, um, that's when an object disappears from one location and reappears in another location. And so often in state in seances, objects would just appear and they it would they use the word a port. So that's that's what that word means. But yeah, so uh, if it helps, it's basically a portmanteau of appear and transport. uh It ports. Yes. Absolutely. So I feel like, like we said, there is Arthur Conan Doyle 101, <laughs> probably to be followed. Because there's the whole thing on Marjorie Crandon, which is an insanely famous medium that we will talk about in their relationship. But I mean, I really, I, I, a lot of myths were debunked for me when I did this. And I want to tell you, tell everyone the book that was a wonderful source. Because what I found when you research this, you either find Everything only about like Sherlock Holmes and his serious literary career. And they literally basically ignore all of this that we talked about. They don't acknowledge it. Our other books talk about spiritualism, but they kind of ignore the other parts of his life. So it's a little difficult. But the book that was a great resource for me is called Conan Doyle and the Spirits, The Spiritualist Career of Arthur Conan Doyle and by Kelvin Jones. And so if you're interested, that is where I've got most of my um, research and information was from that book. So that was very helpful. So one to put that out there. Is that the one I sent you a picture of when I was at that occult store or that uh, curiosity store in Pittsburgh asking if you already had a copy of it? I think that was the history of spiritualism by Doyle. By him. Yes, okay, I that makes that, more yeah. sense. Because I thought... Because it was a very short book, and I remember you talking about the one you were reading for a long time, yeah. so that makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, and this one's a little... It, I mean, I don't know. My husband had no trouble reading it. I found it a little tricky to read. <laughs> I thought it was a little difficult, but once you get into it, you kind of understand how, how the gentleman writes. But it had a ton of resources and was a wealth of information. Um, but yeah, because I went to that. I'm like, oh, I've got a history of spiritualism. This will be easy. And then I realized, oh, he kind of wrote the... 
the little beginning and then after that it's just it's like okay this isn't going to be helpful um like I thought it would and then I found another book in the library that's like Arthur Conan Doyle's and spiritualism and blah 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 and it's just all about his novels which is wonderful but not helpful (laughs) yeah not what you were going for no so this one has been a little tricky to kind of blend those two worlds I was using the timeline the other day and I'm like, oh, they're not mentioning any of this stuff anywhere on this t- on this website's <laughs> timeline. It's like, we don't talk about that. We ignore that. <laughs> or they just would throw it in at the very end. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he was really into spiritualism. Okay, moving on. <laughs> like, moving on from that. That was literally one of the books yeah. that, like, I, I was reading for my topic, too, where it's like, and, like, there are people who are fascinated by this topic. I'm not one of them. End of mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, it was very tricky. But like I said, he's involved so much in this movement in American Great Britain. This is not the last we're going to hear about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. (laughs) No. At all. Like, he was on our list for a very good reason. And you will, from this point forward, hear why. Yes. I mean, like, he he knew the Arthur Finley. And we talked about Arthur Finley College. Like, he's just Mm -hmm. moving in all these circles. So, um. And I'm excited for the next episode because you're going to dive into Houdini and we're going to talk about that seance (laughs) and what happens. (laughs) And how badly that went for everyone. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, that's going to be an interesting. It's I am nowhere near organized on my notes (laughs) and I only have a couple days to get this together because our lovely spirit guide is vacating the country for a while and has to edit all of this before she goes. So I'm under my lovely little deadline time crunch, and it's going to be interesting to see how I put this together in two days. Well, and she's going to the land of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. That is true. She is going to England, and I'm not jealous at all. Wait. I say with the biggest pout on my face ever. I know. We do need to send her with like, our book list. Like, breathe. Yeah. Like, what can, can you acquire these and then bring them home? <laughs> Along with a whole heap of the good Cadbury. I know. It's like, I will pay for an extra suitcase that can just be for books and like all that kind of stuff. Books, Cadbury. Books, chocolate, yes. and whiskey. Yes. yes. We will pull our money and pay for you to have an extra piece of luggage just for all that. Like, oh, my gosh. But this is... I. I'm really excited we finally got to him. I know he's been on our list, and um, I enjoyed learning more about him, and... um, Hope our listeners enjoyed learning more about him, too. I mean, I know I did, because, like, the fact that he didn't dive into spiritualism just when his son died, that alone was earth-bombing in my brain. Yes! So, yeah, no, that was... That one shocked me. And then the rest of it was just absolutely a a cherry on top, like, 100%. Yes! Girl, we are busting myths. We like I keep thinking like every left, right, and center. Look at I us. Love it. I love it. So yes, he was into this way before. So yes, and that is so good to know. And if you like me, enjoyed just busting all of these myths, <laughs> then you know the drill. Like if you haven't yet, please go and appease the podcast gods. And if you haven't yet, then please write us and tell us why, because we assume you don't like us, and we'd like to know what it is you don't like about us. 
But if you do like us, then like leave a review on Apple Pod or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us. And then, of course, while you're there, hit subscribe because then you know when we release new episodes. Yes. And like Caitlin said, we want to hear from you. So let us know what you thought about this episode. And of course, if there are any other spirited topics you want us to cover, we would love to hear them. Um, so you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can always email us at Calling All Spirits Pod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling lucky, you can take the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle approach, <laughs> but I do recommend not using spirit photography or the Cottingly Fairies because th- those were both debunked later, and I feel like those messages won't get through to us. Yeah. So may- may- maybe. I was going to see you and maybe try to find our phone numbers, but maybe yeah, don't. No. Um, don't don't use a medium to get our phone numbers. That'll freak us both out. Uh, email. I like email. You I like email. email. Email is and good. And also don't apport my house keys because then I can't get in my house. <laughs> that would be awkward. And you probably end up with my office keys and confuse everyone there. <laughs> email. 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 Again, email. Facebook. <laughs> Instagram. Patreon. We have so many yes, ways for you to contact we us. We do. And until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.